You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet the firsts. أعوذ بالله السميع من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعدوان إلا عن الظالمين والعاقبة للمتقين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا. Okay, so before I get started for tonight, inshallah ta'ala, a few uh, announcements of sorts about the rest of this with the night ta'ala. So we have good news and bad news. The bad news is we're going to take a break inshallah ta'ala for a few weeks. Uh, I'll be traveling for the next uh, several weeks, inshallah. Um, what we will have, if you followed season one of the Muhajirun, so we covered the Muhajirun and long biographies for the first 50 episodes. And then we did 20 short bios. And these are people whose names are rarely mentioned. You'll rarely find an entire biography of these people. In fact, you'll rarely find them even hyperlinked anywhere. Uh, and so we wanted to bring out their stories, inshallah ta'ala. So, what we'll do ta'ala, is that when I take these breaks, we'll actually have shorts that come out every Tuesday. So you have a chance, inshallah, to catch up on the long lectures. And you also have 10 minute to 15 minute bios that will come out on Tuesdays, inshallah ta'ala. Now, my intention is, inshallah ta'ala, I'll be visiting, um, inshallah, Jordan, and I'll be going to the site of the Battle of Mu'tah, as well as the graves of Mu'ad ibn Jabal and Abu Ubaidah, ta'ala anhumah. So we've just spoken about the shuhada of Mu'tah especially Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiallahu ta'ala anhu and others like him. And we just finished obviously Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu. We spoke about Abu Ubaidah radiallahu anhu when we spoke about the Muhajirin. So inshallah ta'ala be doing some recordings from the site uh, where they are buried bi'ithnillah. And then that will take us to episode 100 inshallah. So episode 100 of the first, we are going to start with the seerah of our mother Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Uh, Aisha radiallahu anha is the most glaring void in the series. Why didn't we already cover Aisha radiallahu anha? Because she kind of falls between the Muhajireen and the Ansar. We obviously spoke about her in the capacity, in the story of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anha, and we spoke about her in the story of Asma bint Abi Bakr radiallahu anha. But she's not really like the Muhajireen that she, she made hijrah when she was very young. And so her story is really the centerpiece of Medina, right? So we've spoken about the Ansar and the Ansar receiving the Prophet Sallallahu And then obviously the main house that becomes the center of that civilization and the center of Islam, the Prophet Sallallahu and the home of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. So we'll have a proper biography of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha and that will be at the beginning of the year, bidnillahi ta'ala. Now, Tonight, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to finish off the third of the Qurra of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And as we said, these are not the only Qurra of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but these were the three Ansar who were known for memorizing the Qur'an and excelling in the memorization and the collection of the Qur'an while the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was still alive. And you cannot separate these three from each other. So we covered the shu'ara of the Prophet wasallam, the poets of the Messenger wasallam. These are the qurra, the reciters. We covered Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu, and Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu is who we cover tonight. Now, from this group, Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu, is Sayyidul Qurra, as Imam al-Zahabi calls him, the master of all reciters, Abu Munzir, Al-Ansari, Al-Najari, Al-Madani, Al-Muqri, Al-Badri. He is, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the master of all reciters from the Ansar, from Banu Najjar. Banu Najjar, we should all know now, is the maternal relatives, or they are the maternal relatives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Right, the family of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, the family of Umm Sunayn, and other famous companions from Banu Najjar. So he's from that particular tribe, and he is 
a Badri as well. He is one of the Badri companions, those whom the Prophet said, Allah looked at and forgave them for all of their past and future sins. So he's from Khazraj and the sub-tribe of Banu Najjar. And he's one of those companions who also, like Zayd and Mu'adh, was literate before Islam. One of the few that could read and write before Islam. Now, the difference between him and Zayd and Mu'adh in this regard is that he was significantly older than them. How old he was, we don't know exactly, but what we do know is that he was pretty much the same age as the Prophet Okay, His description by the time of his death, which was uh, in the Khilaf of Umar ibn Khattab was that he had exceedingly white hair and an exceedingly white beard. Uh, the description of him is actually fascinating, his physical description. You know, when you, when you think about the way he's described, Mu'adh is described with a whole lot of physical descriptions. He's described as everything was exceedingly sharp in color. His skin was exceedingly bright. His hair was exceedingly white. His turban and his thobe were also exceedingly white and his eyes were exceedingly black. So he had, you know, it, it, it almost seems like when he's being described physically that he was extremely sharp, vivid, that he, subhanAllah, stood out in that sense, right? But he's described as not having a single black hair on his head or on his beard by the time that he passed away, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he's the older of the three Qurra of the Prophet sallallahu Obviously Zayd and Mu'adh being young people, being youth that the Prophet sallallahu nurtured and, uh, and rose up to have the positions that they have. He attends Bay'atul Aqaba along with those companions. So he's one of those who went to Mecca and who took the pledge with the Prophet وسلم, after having embraced the da'wah of Mus'ab ibn Umair So he's again one of the fruits of Mus'ab ibn Umair He accepted his da'wah and then he went to Mecca to meet the Messenger and to be with the Prophet uh, as soon as Rasulullah would arrive in Quba. A reminder of the narration, the Prophet said, Take the Quran from four people. The Prophet told the companions, Take the Quran from four people. Is there anyone who can name the four at this point? Who is it? Uh, in this particular narration, not Zayd radiallahu anhu. The famous narration of Khudr Qur'an min Arba'ah, take the Qur'an from four. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, not Abu Darda, not in this one. Mu'adh, and there's one more he gets left out a lot. Salim, Mawla Abi Hudayfa. Salim radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Ubay ibn Ka'ab. So the Prophet said, Khudr Qur'an min Arba'ah, take the Qur'an from four people. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, Salim, Mawla Abi Hudayfa. Mu'adh ibn Jabal and Ubay ibn Ka'ab. These were the, the you know, when, when you said Khud al-Qur'an, take the Qur'an from four people, these were the famous four that you would take the Qur'an uh, from. Now the Prophet said amongst his entire ummah, amongst this group, he said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَأَقْرَأُهُمْ لِكِتَابِ اللَّهِ Ubay ibn Ka'ab وَأَعْلَمُهُمْ بِالْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ Mu'adh ibn Jabal وَأَفْرَضُهُمْ Zayd ibn Thabit. So all three of them are famous for the Qur'an, but the distinctions of these three men, the Prophet ﷺ said, the best of them in the recitation of the Qur'an is Ubay ibn Ka'b. And the best of them in understanding halal and haram, meaning fiqh, meaning jurisprudence, is Mu'adh ibn Jabal. And the best of them in understanding inheritance laws, and by extension, property laws, and some of the very complicated areas of, of fiqh, when it comes to the mathematical transactions, is Zayd ibn Thabit. So these three were all the masters of the Qur'an, but it says something when the Prophet ﷺ specifies Ubay as the greatest reciter amongst them, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And in another narration, the Prophet ﷺ said, أَقْرَأُ أُمَّتِي Ubay, The best of my nation in the recitation of the Qur'an is Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, 
the, the, the oldest of the three and the greatest of the three in the recitation of the Qur'an Now we said that Zayd went on to become the most famous scribe of the Prophet Ubay ibn Ka'b was the first person to actually start being the scribe of the Prophet from the Ansar when the Messenger came to Medina. And here's the other thing, who in here is a Hafiz? I don't mean to put you all on the spot. We have Hafad and Valiant, right? Oh, there you go, Hamza. Do you have Ubay ibn Ka'b in your Samad? Yes. See, if you ask almost any Hafiz of the Qur'an, in our chains of narration is Ubay anhu. Why? Because Ubay ibn Ka'b is, and I'm going to talk about this, in all of the Qira'at except for one recitation. Your ijazah almost automatically goes to Ubay ibn Ka'b. Meaning when you read to your shaykh, you read to your shaykh who will go back and he read upon this shaykh and 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 it always ends with Ubay ibn Ka'b then the Prophet That's a special connection, subhanAllah. So you can see right away that you know, when we talk about you're holding the Mus'haf, this physical Mus'haf that you hold in your hand is through the works of Zayd ibn Thabit Right? And then the hifth of the Qur'an, the memorization of the Qur'an, and the qira'at, the recitation of the Qur'an, anyone that will read to a shaykh with a sanad, with a chain, will have Ubay ibn Ka'b as their link to the Prophet there are also, and I'm just talking about some of this fadal, then we'll get into some of the stories. Something about these three men, and you rarely find them mentioned separately from one another in some of the significant moments of the seerah. In the incident where the Prophet wasallam's grandson passed away, when the son of Zainab anha, passed away, when he was dying, uh, she sent a messenger to her father. And Rasulullah was sitting with these three men. So he was sitting with Ubay and Mus'ab and Zayd. So they were a trio. They were a trio. And she greeted him and she said to the, to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, he's breathing his last. And Rasulullah ﷺ sent back a message to her and said, Inna lillahi ma akhada wa lahu ma a'ta wa kullun indahu bi ajalin musamma fal tasbir wal tahtasib that verily Allah takes what belongs to him and he gives what belongs to him and he has appointed a time for every single person so let her show patience and seek her reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then she sent to the Prophet the messenger and she said Ya Rasulullah I need you to come so she actually called her father it was a very human exchange between her and the Prophet Ya Rasulullah I need you to actually come here and be with him as he breathes his last فَقَامَ وَمَعَهُ مُعَاذ وَأُبَيْ وَزَيْدْ وَفِرِوَايَ وَسَعْدِ بْنُ عُبَادَ So the Prophet gets up and these were the three men that he takes with him to be with him as he holds his grandson when he breathes his last. And one of those who's also mentioned is Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The Prophet also in some narrations called him Sayyidul Ansar, the master of the Ansar. And this is something significant that the Prophet ﷺ privileged the people of Qur'an amongst everybody else. He privileged the people of Qur'an amongst everyone else. Even in the janazas, the Prophet ﷺ privileged the people of Qur'an amongst everyone else. So when he says that Ubay anhu is Sayyidul Qurra, he's also saying he is the master of you all. He is the chief of you all and the leader of you all. And sometimes the Prophet ﷺ, to show him that respect, called him Sayyidul Ansar, the leader of the Ansar. Now, we'll go through some of the narrations and here's how, you know, and I forgot to do this in the beginning. I want you to imagine Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu anhu. Literally, if you were to walk into Medina, years, a few years after the death of the Prophet every narration about Ubay ibn Ka'b is him reciting the Qur'an in the masjid. Either leading the salah or walking around and reciting or answering questions about the Qur'an in the masjid. So it's actually stunning. You don't even find the conversations with him outside of the masjid of the Prophet So if you walked into the masjid of Medina after the death of the Prophet the person who would be leading the salah is this man. And if you imagine a man pacing back and forth, reciting the Qur'an to himself, sitting and doing muraja'ah and reciting the Qur'an to himself, and then answering people's questions about the Qur'an, it's Ubay ibn Ka'b 
radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he said it started with a particular incident between him and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet comes to him one day and he says, Ya Ubay. And it's beautiful because in the story of Mu'adh and in the story of Zayd, how many times do you say, Ya Mu'adh, Ya Zayd, like talking to you directly. Oh Ubay. Ubay says, Na'am Ya Rasulullah, what is it, O Messenger of Allah? He says, Ayy ayatin fil Quran a'zam. What part of the Quran is the greatest? And in one narration, the Prophet said, what part of what you have, meaning what you've memorized, is the greatest of it all? So Ubay radiallahu anhu immediately says, and what do you think the greatest verse of the Qur'an is? Ayatul Kursi, we take it from this narration. Ubay radiallahu anhu immediately says, Allahu la ilaha illahu, he recites it to the Prophet You know, like a Qur'an competition or a quiz. Ubay, what's the best verse in the Qur'an? Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum, he recites Ayatul Kursi to the Prophet The Prophet walked up to him and he put his hand on his chest. And SubhanAllah, this was the, the interaction of the Messenger with his companions. And he said, You know when you say uh, means knowledge is going to be easy for you. Knowledge is going to come to you so smoothly. Ya Abal Mundir, which is the nickname of Ubay radiallahu anhu. Knowledge is going to come to you so easily. So it's been facilitated for you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a divine way. And when the Messenger وسلم, puts his hand on your chest, right? Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu has that story. Mu'adh radiallahu anhu has that story. There's something that comes to you, right? You could feel the hand of the Prophet وسلم, years after he had passed away and, and recall that moment with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Prophet used to call for him when he would receive the revelation and he would be amongst those that would immediately capture the recitation of the Qur'an. Uh, Ibn Abbas says that Ubay ibn Ka'ab once said to Umar ibn Khattab, إِنِّي تَلَقَيْتُ الْقُرْآنَ مِمَّنْ تَلَقَاهُ مِنْ جِبْرِيلَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ وَهُوَ رَطْبُ That I recited or I received the revelation, the recitation of the Qur'an. إِنِّي تَلَقَيْتُ الْقُرْآنَ I received the recitation from the one who received the recitation from Jibreel alayhi salam while it was fresh. Like I got to be there when it was coming from Jibreel to the Prophet sallallahu while it was fresh. And that was his description of the proximity that he had to the Qur'an. Now, all of the companions that we've spoken about that have this Qur'an distinction, from amongst the companions of the Prophet some have a story. And they have a virtue, the ulama say subhanAllah, they have a virtue with the Qur'an that no one else has. So for example, Zayd ibn Thabit anhu. He was the one who felt the weight of the revelation on the Prophet because his leg was literally under the leg of the Prophet when the Qur'an came upon the Messenger and Zayd said, I felt like my leg was gonna fall off. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. He was the one who the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told, read the Qur'an to me. Iqra' alayya. Now imagine, you know, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says to you not to test you, not to ask you questions, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wants to sit and enjoy your recitation. And he says to Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, read the Qur'an to me. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says, Ya Rasulullah, aqra'u alayka wa alayka unzil. You want me to read to you and it was revealed to you? I can't do that, that's tough. And the Prophet wanted him to recite and he insisted Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Rasulullah put his head down and enjoyed the recitation from Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now with Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu, he has a virtue that no other companion has. And this is something that many of the companions have a specific virtue that only belongs to them. Ibn Mas'ud's distinction radiallahu anhu, and they are many, but in this regard was, he's the only person we know that the Prophet said, read the Qur'an to me, so the Prophet could actually enjoy his recitation. But Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu, he was once with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ya Ubay, O Ubay, he says, Inna Allah amarani an aqra'a alayka al-Qur'an. 
Allah has just commanded me to read the Qur'an to you. And in one narration, Surah Al-Bayyinah, Allah has commanded me to read the Qur'an to you. Now Ubay radiallahu anhu says, and there, there are a few narrations, he says, the Karani? Wait, Allah said me? Allah said me almost like out of shock. Allah told you to read the Qur'an to me? And Rasulullah said, Naam, yes. And he said, Dhukirtu inda Rabbil Alameen? You mean I was mentioned with the Lord of the worlds? Like Allah said, obey? Like I want to make sure this isn't a general gift that's been given to you or Allah didn't just say, read to the person closest to you. You mean me, Ya Rasulullah? Me in particular? And the Prophet ﷺ mentions, Naam, bi-ismika wa nasabika fil mala al alam By your name and your lineage in the presence of the Most High. Allah speaking in the presence of the closest angels to Him, above seven heavens, says, or sends a message to the Prophet ﷺ, read the Qur'an to Ubayy ibn Ka'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Ubayy radiallahu anhu starts to cry because this is something that you know, takes him to another level. And in one narration, he says, Bidlahi amant wa ala yadika aslamt wa minka ta'allamt. He says, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, I believe in Allah. Wa ala yadika aslamt. And I embraced Islam on your hand. Wa minka ta'allamt. And from you I learned. So the Prophet ﷺ recited to Ubay radiallahu anhu as he was in tears, just knowing that Allah mentioned him in that way, uh, Surah Al-Bayyinah, and he took it radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And it's very interesting because his son narrates uh, from him this narration. So this is narrated by more than one person, Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu and Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, but one of the narrators of the hadith is his son. And Ubay was not known to be a very joyful person. We'll see that in his personality. He was a very serious person. But when he would narrate this hadith, he'd get extremely happy. All right? So there would be clear signs of joy on him when he would narrate this hadith. So his son said to him, فَرِحْتَ بِذَلِكَ Like, are you, are you overjoyed because of that? Is that what's giving you joy? He said, وَمَا يَمْنَعُنِي وَهُوَ تَعَالَى يَقُولُ قُلْ بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَبِرَحْمَتِهِ فَبِذَلِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُوا What would stop me from being overjoyed by this when Allah says, say in the bounty of Allah and in His mercy, let them find happiness in that. That there was no hadith more precious to him, more, no incident more precious to him than this moment that he shared with the Messenger ﷺ when the Prophet ﷺ told him that Allah just mentioned you by name and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded me to read the Qur'an to you. Now there's, some, there's another interesting narration about him because it shows you where his heart was in trying to cling to the Qur'an and in trying to attain the maximum reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a very interesting hadith. And it's one of those khasa'is, one of those things that's specific to the Sahaba of the Prophet Are you supposed to ask Allah for sickness? No. In fact, Hadith Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, when the Prophet heard a man asking Allah for patience. And the Prophet said, Sa'altu Allah al-bala, you asked Allah for trial, instead ask him for afiyah, ask him to pardon you, or to, to free you, to, to safeguard you from hardship. Doesn't mean don't ask Allah for the quality of patience, and don't ask Allah to be from a sabri and from the patience, but when you're in the midst of a hardship, ask Allah to relieve you of it, right? This is the way that our Prophet teaches us. Sometimes, just like fasting, the Prophet ﷺ prohibited us from al-wisal. Does anyone know what sawm al-wisal is? Continuous fasting is? Anyone know what it is? It's to combine days in fasting without breaking. Okay? So you fast two days without breaking your fast in between. It was prohibited, but allowed for some of the companions as something that was khas, specific to them. With Ubay radiallahu anhu, we had a, what's actually documented amongst the karamat, amongst the miracles of the companions. Ubay radiallahu anhu had a fever. And he said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, ma jaza'ul humma? O Messenger of Allah, what's the reward of a fever? You know, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa told us that the believer is not struck with any sickness, except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
uh, expiates some of their sins, purifies them, raises their ranks, the prick of a thorn, anxiety, any sickness. If a person does ihtisab, if they seek the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will purify them of their sins and raise their rank. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, ma jaza'ul humma, O Messenger of Allah, what is the reward of a fever? So he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Tujri al-hasanati ala sahibiha. That it bestows numerous hasanat, numerous good deeds upon the one who possesses it. That when you're sick, you're in a state with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're in a particular position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And humma, obviously is a symptom of many underlying things, right? That they didn't diagnose very specifically back then. So when a person had a fever, it was, it was a sign of something that was underlying. And the Prophet ﷺ taught the Sahaba to see it as a, as a means of, of qurb, as a means of closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Ubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Allahumma inni as'aluka humman la tamna'uni khurujan fi sabilik. It's a very specific dua. He said, oh Allah, I ask you for perpetual fever, <laughs> but does, that does not prevent me from going out in your path. And one narration is specific, salah, going out in salah, going out in hajj, and going out in jihad fi sabilillah. So I want to be sick or have this fever so that I can have that reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but I don't want it to be with me in a way that would prevent me from going to the salah, or a way that would prevent me from going to hajj, or a way that would prevent me from going out in battle. And he attended the battles with the Prophet Now you might say, we're not supposed to make this dua. You're right, this is khas. This is something specific to Ubaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Okay? And the Prophet Sallallahu told the other companion, Subhanallah, la tutiquhu. You would not bear what you're asking Allah for. But with Ubaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he had a perpetual fever, but Subhanallah, when it was the time for salah, when it was the time for hajj, when it was the time for umrah, when it was the time for battle, he had no fever. So the dua was actually answered for him in a very specific way that he had a sickness that persisted with him as a result of this dua that did not continue with him in hajj, in jihad, or in salah. It would subside naturally when he would go out to the masjid and when he would engage himself in ibadah. So it was something very specific to him, but it shows you the position that he has with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now, all of the ahadith narrated from Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu anhu have to do with dua or qira'ah. So all of the settings have to do in the masjid and all of the duas, or I'm sorry, all of the ahadith, all of the narrations have to do with dua and qira'ah. So he's, he was the one who he was asked about how the Prophet used to make dua. He said, إِذَا ذَكَرَ أَحَدًا فَدَعَ لَهُ بَدَى بِنَفْسِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. When the Prophet would make dua, he would start with himself and then he would make dua for that person as well. Also the way we recite in, in Salatul Witr. What are the three surahs that you commonly hear recited in Salatul Witr? Surah Al-A'la. Al-Kafirun and Al-Ikhlas. This is narrated from Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu anhu as the narration of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or the recitation of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Salat al-Witr. So we take that from Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Also, he was with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when Surah Al-Ikhlas was revealed. Qul Allah Ahad was revealed. Does anyone know the backstory of Surah Al-Ikhlas? Quraysh came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and look how these people think. They think all in terms of lineage. Where are you from? They asked the Prophet ﷺ, what is the lineage of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Tell us Allah Azza's nasab. Ubay radiallahu anhu is narrating this ridiculous question. فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدْ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُنَّهُ كُفُونَ أَحَدُ So he's the one who narrates when the surah was revealed, as Quraysh came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him about uh, Allah's lineage, where did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala come from in this regard? So these are the hadith that he narrates. As for his own personal recitation of the Quran, uh, he was asked how, how often he completes a khatam of the Quran. He said, Inna lanaqra'uhu fi thamani layalin. 
يعني القرآن He used to finish the Quran every eight nights And this is something that you find that's very interesting about these Sahaba is that they had their specific days and they all liked to take their time with the recitation of the Quran This was considered taking your time with the Quran that he would review the entirety of the Quran through his Qiyamul Layl over eight nights That's not the only time he reads it but that was his habit of memorization his habit of recitation Abil Aliya rahimahullah says Kana Ubay sahiba ibadah he said that Ubay radiallahu anhu was someone that was always engaged in ibadah. And then when people needed something from him, then he would leave off his personal ibadah. He would sit with the people, he'd answer their questions, and then he'd go back to his ibadah anhu. So this was his role in the masjid, in the community of the Prophet Now fast forward to the time of Umar al-Khattab anhu. And as he said, Umar who plays a role in all of these companions' lives, in nurturing their greatness. Umar who said, Aqdana Ali wa aqra'una ubay. He used to say عنه, that the best in judgment amongst us is Sayyidina Ali عنه, and the best reciter amongst us is Ubay ibn Ka'ab And he actually said in one of his khutab, in one of his uh, sermons, Umar radiallahu anhu said, Man arada an yas'al anil Qur'an falyati Ubay ibn Ka'ab. Whoever has a question about the Qur'an, go to Ubay ibn Ka'ab. Woman arada an yas'al anil fara'id. And whoever wants to ask a question about inheritance, who should he go to? Zayd. Falyati Zayd. Then go to Zayd radiallahu anhu. Woman arada an yas'al anil fiqh. And whoever has a question about fiqh, jurisprudence, who should they go to? فَلْيَأْتِ مُعَاذِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَىٰ عَنْهُ Go to Mu'adhan رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ وَمَنْ أَرَادَ أَنْ يَسْأَلْ عَنِ الْمَالِ He said, and if someone has a question to ask about public policy and treasury and the things in regards to administration فَلْيَأْتِنِي Then come to me فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ جَعَلَنِي خَازِنًا وَقَاسِمًا Allah Azza wa Jalla placed me in a position of trust where I have to distribute in this place of authority So it's as if subhanAllah, this is also the humility of Umar he could have stood up and said, if you have a question about Qur'an, come to me. If you have a question about fiqh, come to me. If you have a question about anything, come to me. But Umar anhu was actually putting himself down and directing other companions and other people uh, to uh, these particular companions. There's another narration, عن زرن, عن عاصم, عن زر, قال, He said that I went to Al-Madina, and I went to Ubay. فَقُلْتُ يَرْحَمُكَ اللَّهِ I said to him, may Allah have mercy on you. اِخْفَدْ لِي جَنَاحَكْ Lower your wings to me, like come down to my level because MashaAllah you're up here. So I'm going to ask you a question. Don't get mad at me. Just come down to my level as I ask you this question please. Lower your wing in humility to me. قَالَ فَسَأَلْتُهُ عَنْ لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ I asked him about Laylatul Qadr. Ubay has a very famous opinion on Laylatul Qadr. Does anyone know what it is? He is the one who says that Laylatul Qadr is the 27th night. Okay, so this is his famous opinion, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that he said, Laylatul Sab'in wa Ishreen, when the man asked him, it is the 27th night. So when you see the Ummah uh, pushing itself a little bit further, on the 27th night, it comes from Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates this. This was his opinion. And of course, we've talked about this. We're not in the last two nights of Ramadan right now. Many of the ulama reconciled that it could have been that he witnessed it on the 27th night with the Prophet sallallahu And he took from that that it's always the 27th night rather than being the odd nights. Uh, you don't want to gamble with the other nine nights. So you can push yourself a little bit further on the 27th night inshallah ta'ala and understand why there is some special significance to Layla to Sab'in wa Ishneen to the 27th night, but at the same time, uh, do not bank on it. Now, we said he was the dedicated Qur'an teacher in Masjid Nabawi. I think that this is probably the most significant thing, like could you imagine being there for Salatul Taraweeh in the Masjid of the Prophet Wasallam? Now the story of Tarawih, of course, is that the Prophet ﷺ prayed Tarawih with the Sahaba for a few nights. 
And the masjid was overcrowded, busting at the seams. And the Prophet ﷺ decided to stop praying it in jama'ah so that they don't take it as a fard upon them. Because he understood ﷺ that the significance they were giving to tarawih in jama'ah could have solidified it as something that is mandatory. And there's no doubt there's something special about Salatul Tarawih, right? Like it's, you, people come together, but we talk about this every Ramadan, right? Tarawih is full, Isha, after Ramadan, which is fault is gone. You know, like the, the numbers dwindle after Ramadan. So the Prophet ﷺ decided to withdraw, still, still legislating it, but the revelation is still coming down when the Prophet is alive and the Prophet does not want certain things to become mandatory. So what happened is they still prayed Taraweeh, but they prayed Taraweeh in Jama'at. So if you walked in the Masjid in Ramadan, you had a bunch of people praying Taraweeh behind different Imams. Sayyidina Umar was the one who decided in his wisdom to gather all of the companions behind one Imam for Salatul Taraweeh. And out of all of the companions, he chose Ubay ibn Ka'b So Ubay was the agreed upon Imam of the Sahaba when they were praying Salatul Taraweeh, and he is their chosen Imam. Now here's something very interesting, and this shows you the hikmah, the wisdom of the Sahaba. Umar did not appoint him as a judge or a governor or a ruler in any way. He appointed Zayd, he appointed Mu'adh, he appointed Abu Ubaidah, he appointed many people, but he did not appoint Ubay ibn Ka'b. This is so significant because the fiqh of Umar is like the fiqh of the Prophet his understanding. So Ubaidah kind of noticed, you know, you're appointing other Sahaba in different positions, not that he's seeking it. Remember the Prophet told Abu Dhar that you're not, you're not fit to be a leader. Not because you have a naqs, not because you have a deficiency in Iman, but it's not your role. And it will be a source of regret for you. This isn't your role. This, you're, not the, you're not the best person to be in charge. Okay? So Ubayr he noticed that Umar did not appoint him to anything. He appointed him as the Imam in Taraweeh. I mean, that's pretty significant. He said, anyone has a question about Quran, go to Ubayr. But he went to Umar anhu one day and he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, ma laka la tasta'miruni? I'm just curious, how come you never appointed me to any position? And he said, Ya Ubay, akrahu an yudannasa dinuk. He used a very specific word. He said, I was afraid that it would stain your religion. It would taint you. Like you have to trust me on this one. I see something, I don't want this to stain you. You're too pure for it. I don't want you to be in this position of political leadership. Fiqh of Umar anhu. You're an amazing person. You're the Imam when it comes to the Qur'an. You are the person we go to for the Qur'an, but I didn't want to put you in a position of actually being in charge of any of the Muslims. And SubhanAllah, one of the things that you note about Ubay is Ubay had a very strict disposition like Abu Dhar. Abu Dhar's problem, his primary issue, was that Abu Dhar anhu was too much of a zahid, too much of an ascetic to where when he saw people engaging in the dunya, it disappointed him and he condemned them for their engaging in gold and silver and, and the trade and, and he saw the prosperity enter upon the ummah and it scared him and he, and he started to uh, admonish the rest of the Muslims in a way that he became harsh with them. Right? Ubayr has a very similar disposition. He didn't like a lot of what he was seeing in terms of prosperity, in terms of the growth. I mean, he wanted, he wanted people to focus on the Qur'an. Ubayr was the person that was always in the masjid, reciting the Qur'an, teaching the Qur'an. And Umar said, it would have been a fitna for you. I know you and I know what I'm doing. I chose not to put you in this position because I didn't want it to stain your religion. I wanted you to stay purified from it. That doesn't mean other people are not pure if they engage in these positions of leadership. Because remember he said, if I was to die 
I would appoint Abu Ubaidah as my Khalifa. And if I was to die, I'd appoint Mu'adh ibn Jabal as my Khalifa, right? And he praised them for their integrity. But Ubayr had a very strict disposition towards the people. Uh, there's one narration that he was looking out at the marketplace and he said, Do you see the people competing over this world? Like they're racing, they're racing over the competition of this dunya. The, the narrator, uh, he says, He said, yes, uh, I see that. And Ubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, فَإِنِّي سَمِعْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ يَقُولَ I heard the Prophet say, يُوشِكُ أَنْ يَحْسِرَ الْفُرَاتُ عَنْ جَبَلٍ مِنْ ذَهَبٍ It's a very famous narration that one day the Euphrates will become shallow and it will uncover beneath it a mountain of gold. So he said, صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ فَإِذَا سَمِعَ بِهِ النَّاسُ سَارُوا إِلَيْهِ And when people hear about it, they're going to rush towards it. They'll descend upon the Euphrates to steal the resources from that area. فَيَقُولُ مَنْ عِنْدَهُ لَإِنْ تَرَكْنَا النَّاسَ يَأْخُذُونَ مِنْهُ لَا يَدِعُونَ مِنْهُ شَيْئًا So people start to say, hurry up and get as much of the gold as you can, or else the people that are behind us will take from it. So everyone takes the maximum amount. I mean, the complete, the complete opposite of the spirit of Islam. Right? Gold has been uncovered, the people descend upon and everyone takes their share and tries to leave behind the people behind them. And the Prophet وسلم, said, and 99 out of every 100 will die as they're, they're crowding and hoarding over that gold to try to take from it. You know, and some of the ulama mentioned stampeding and, and some of just the, the way that people will be driven by their base desire to descend upon the gold and to descend upon the marketplace. Ubay radiallahu ta'ala anhu also used to cry when he would recite uh, the ayah, قُلْ هُوَ الْقَادِرُ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَبْعَثَ عَلَيْكُمْ عَذَابًا مِنْ فَوْقِكُمْ Surah Al-An'am. He used to cry when he would recite this verse that say, He is, He, Allah, has the power to send upon you punishment from above you, from below you, or to cover you with confusion and, and, until the end of the uh, ayah and uh, verse 65 of Al-An'am. And he used to cry and he used to seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from seeing the fitna amongst the Muslims, from seeing the dissension amongst the Muslims. So he didn't want to see the trials and tribulations and people fighting over this world and in the process corrupting their connection to Allah and the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. There's a very beautiful narration uh, by a man, uh, Abi Nadra, Rahimullah, qala rajulun minna yuqalu lahu jabirun aw juwaybir. There was a man who, whose name was uh, Jabir or Juwaybir, who was from Iraq. And he said, Ataytu Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Waqad u'atitu mantiqan. He said, I went to visit Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and I was an articulate man. I had the ability to articulate my thoughts. Qala fa'akhathtu fi dunya fasagartuha fataraktuha la taswa shay'a. He said, so I started to belittle dunya. I started to talk about this world, the material world. Fasagartuha. Until I belittled it so much that it had no worth whatsoever. So he's, he's saying this to Umar and he thinks that this is a good thing. He starts to talk about how horrible this world is and belittle the dunya. And you would think that this would be a good thing, right? So he says, He said, and there was a man sitting next to Umar who had exceedingly white hair, an exceedingly white beard, and an exceedingly white soap. So he responded to me and he said, Said that what you said is good, but you went a little bit too far when you started to belittle this world. Don't you know what's in this dunya? So he said, In this dunya, we have our provisions. And one narration, Zaduna, our provisions to reach the hereafter. And we have the ability to do good deeds. Now, this is coming from. Ubayr who doesn't like materialism. But he's saying, you're going a little bit too far because this dunya is not a horrible thing, it's an opportunity. The world is an opportunity to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it has our provisions to the hereafter. And it has the good deeds that we can be rewarded for. So he says, he then got up and he left and I said, Who was that 
O Amir al-Mu'mineen, O Commander of the Believers. Qala Umar radiallahu anhu, hadha Sayyidul Muslimin. This is the master of the Muslims, Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu. So, I mean, even you think about the words here. Man hadha ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, who was that, O Commander of the Believers? And he said, Hadha Sayyidul Muslimin. This is the master of the belie- of the Muslims, of all of the Muslims, Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu, which really makes you think about, subhanAllah, that Umar radiallahu anhu did not want him to be in a post, a political post, but he still called him Sayyidul Muslimin. Tells you a lot, subhanAllah, about the possession and the, you know, the way we compete over positions of leadership, uh, you know, in a way that might actually hurt us in the hereafter. There's one more narration that Umar radiallahu anhu was sitting with the companions and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu told the Sahaba to make dua. And as they made this dua together, Ubay radiallahu ta'ala anhu started to say, Allah maghfir lana, Allah marhamna, Allah maghfir lana, Allah marhamna, Allah maghfir lana, Allah marhamna, oh Allah forgive us, oh Allah have mercy on us. And he was uh, deeply uh, weeping and moved as he was reciting that dua for forgiveness and mercy. And Umar radiallahu anhu was sitting next to him saying, Ameen, saying, Ameen, Ameen, Ameen. So it shows you the position that he had with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and with the Sahaba of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's the final narration about his life, and it's actually about his death. Um, Al-Hassan radiallahu anhu narrates that um, a man came to Al-Madina when Ubay died. And when Ubay died, every single person turned up for his janazah. The Imam of the Masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So you can imagine, subhanAllah, the, the, uh, the movement in the streets of the Prophet city. This was their Imam. And this is in the Khilaf of Umar ibn Khattab anhu. So this is before fitna broke out. Allah spared him from the fitna that he feared so much. Before any fitna broke out. And he said, I saw the people in Medina flooding the streets. This is the image when you walked into Medina and you just saw people flooding the streets, everyone coming from their home. Is it Eid or something like that? Are they going out for Hajj? Are they going out for, for Umrah? I said, what is it with all these people? So the people turned around and they said, You must not be from Al-Madina. Or are you not from here? <laughs> like, do you not understand what happened today? Why the people are out in the streets? So he said, no, he was from Iraq. فَإِنَّهُ قَدْ مَاتَ الْيَوْمِ سَيِّدُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Ubay ibn Ka'ab Verily today the leader of the Muslims, the master of the Muslims passed away. Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu led his salatul janazah. He is buried radiallahu ta'ala anhu in al-baqi' uh, in, in the graveyard of the Sahaba next to the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Umar radiallahu anhu as he eulogized him, he said, لَقَدْ مَاتَ الْيَوْمِ سَيِّدُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ once again, giving him that honorary title that the leader of the Muslims, the master of the Muslims has passed away today, Ubay radiallahu ta'ala anhu. There's one thing that I'll leave you with, subhanAllah, and then we'll just take some, some final notes here. The nasiha, the advice of Ubay radiallahu anhu to the Muslims. He's distinguished by the Qur'an. So there's a famous narration from him, from Abu Aliya. So he said that a man came to Ubay ibn Ka'ab and said, Awsani, give me advice. So he said, اتخذ كتاب الله إماما ورضى به قاضيا وحكما Take the book of Allah as your imam, as your leader and be satisfied with it as your judge and as your ruler. And he said فَإِنَّهُ الَّذِي اسْتَخْلَفَ فِيكُمْ رَسُولُكُمْ شَفِيعٌ That this is the, what Allah has left for you through the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam شَفِيعٌ مُطَاعٌ وَشَاهِدٌ as an intercessor to be followed and as a witness upon you. لا يتهم فيه And there is absolutely no accusation of its integrity. There is nothing, there is no doubt of this book, right? This is the consistent book amongst you. Your imam, no accusation can be leveled against this imam. This is your intercessor, this is your judge, this is your witness. فيه ذكركم وذكر من قبلكم It has the mention of you and the mention of all those that came before you. وَحَكَمُوا مَا بَيْنَكُمْ And it has judged everything in between. وَخَبَرُكُمْ وَخَبَرُوا مَا بَعْدَكُمْ And it has your affairs and the affairs of everything that is to come after you. It documents everything 
in this regard. So take the Qur'an as your Imam. And of course the recitation, he then recited the ayah, وَقَالَ الرَّسُولُ that the Prophet complains on the Day of Judgment, إِنَّ قَوْمِ هَذَا that my people have taken the Qur'an to be less than what it is. They, they haven't taken it seriously. They abandoned the Qur'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not make us amongst those people who abandoned the Qur'an. Allahumma ameen. Amongst his students and those that narrated from him, Ibn Abbas Anas ibn Malik some of the, the leaders of the Sahaba. And I want to mention his kids because it's actually really interesting here. Uh, his son, Muhammad. So, his sons, he's actually Abu Muhammad, but his nickname is, his nickname is Abu Al-Mundir, Abu Al-Mundir. But his son's Muhammad. So Muhammad was also nicknamed Al-Mundir because that was his, that was Ubay's name, you know, growing up, that they call him Abu Al-Mundir. So Muhammad, his son, who's a narrator on his behalf, was a, uh, uh, was a student of his father. And he was also a student of Umar Al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. So he's one of the narrators from Ubay ibn Ka'b and he's one of the narrators from Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu ta'ala anhu and he's one of the shuhada of Yawm al-Harra uh, the, the, the day that uh, there was a massacre that took place in Al-Madinah he's one of those who passed away as a martyr on those days but subhanAllah uh, his children's name so he has a son named Muhammad Al-Qasim and Umar then he has Ubay, Mu'adh and Zayd <laughs> So it's actually very interesting, subhanAllah, like the trio was actually even in the names uh, there. In one narration, Zayd is Ziyad. Uh, he also has a Tufail ibn Ubay, his son, who's a narrator of his. And Ibn Abbas considered him one of his greatest students. And the, the, the gift of Ibn Abbas and we'll talk about him in depth one day, is that he was able to take from all these streams of the Qur'an. And Ma'mar uh, used to say, said that the majority of the knowledge of Ibn Abbas came from three people, from Umar, from Ali, and from Ubay. And the famous narration of Al-Khadr, the long narration where the Prophet tells us about Al-Khadr, who's mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf, actually comes when Ibn Abbas was asked by some of his students about Al-Khadr, and he saw Ubay, walking by and he called Ubay over. Shows you how your tradition was preserved. And he asked Ubay about Al-Khadr. And Ubay radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrated to him everything about Al-Khadr alayhi salam. And as we said, the chains of nine of the 10 Imams of the uh, Qira'at uh, still trace back to Ubay radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uh, the only exception is Ibn Amr al-Dimashqi uh, who it does not trace back to Ubay radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Nine of the Imams of the Qira'at, we have him radiallahu ta'ala anhu as our link to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him, be pleased with all of the companions. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us people of the Qur'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be raised with the Qur'an. May Allah allow us to be amongst those who are raised in paradise by the Qur'an and who are mentioned with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fil mala' al-a'la and the highest companionship with the angels because of our love for the Qur'an and may Allah Azzawajal make us amongst those adherents of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allahumma Ameen. Inshallah Ta'ala, as I said, uh, we'll, we won't have our live class on Tuesday, um, but Inshallah Ta'ala we will uh, have the first shorts that will continue for a few weeks Inshallah, and then we will come back with uh, our mother Aisha Radiallahu Ta'ala Anha. We'll talk about some of the women that were also distinguished with the Qur'an as well in these next few episodes of the shorts, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, I'll take a few questions, inshallah, but you can cut the stream, inshallah. So I'll take maybe one question from each side, inshallah. All right, before I actually take questions, Thursday night after Isha, um, We'll record the shorts here, inshallah ta'ala. So if you want to come on Thursday night after Salat al-Isha, inshallah, we'll do a recording of uh, four or five episodes, inshallah ta'ala, some of the shorter biographies from the Sahab bin the night ta'ala. So if you'd like to join us Thursday night bin the night ta'ala, please do, inshallah. All right, sisters and brothers, any questions? Yeah. So regarding the tarawih, is there wisdom to the Prophet ﷺ saying pray in your homes as opposed to um, simply 
just saying to them it's not fard. The wisdom is that even if the Prophet said it, you have to imagine that the companions are in the thousands and the religion is still in formation. And in the wisdom of the Prophet he saw that even if they weren't going to say it's fard, that the importance they were placing on it was going to make it like fard. And the spirit of voluntary prayers, the asr, the, you know, the, the default of all voluntary prayers is that they're actually to be done at home. And there is, uh, you know, a reward in doing them at home. And that's why till now the debate is amongst the scholars as to if a person prays tarawih at home, because it's basically qiyam, is it superior or if they pray in the masjid? And the easy way to sort of break that, that tie is where do you have more khushur? Where do you, you know, there, there's certain benefits and wisdoms that come from praying here. But don't relegate all of your qiyam in Ramadan to the masjid. So even if you pray tarawih in the masjid, pray some more at home if you can to also have that, you know, ihya, that, that giving life to your, your chambers, inshallah ta'ala, that night during the month of Ramadan. Any sisters? No sisters? Okay, yeah. Oh man, you're going to get me in the 8 versus 20 rakahs right now. Uh, there's ikhtilaf in the riwayat, in the narrations. Um, but the suggestion is actually that Umar ta'ala anhu divided it into 20. Um, but there is debates over the, the chains and over the narrations in this regard. But there, that's what the... Uh, it seems to be the case. And there's also interesting narrations that Umar radiallahu anhu gave Tamim al-Dari radiallahu anhu another jama'ah where he recited faster than Ubay radiallahu anhu and they prayed more rak'at. So he even divided them based on speed of recitation. Which shows you there's, there's really a lot of expanse in this mas'ala. Uh, in this, you know, in regards to this question, we don't have to be as rigid as we make it. The sunnah of the Prophet is two by two in Qiyamul Layl. Meaning uh, two rakahs by two rakahs. So uh, you pray eight, you pray 20, you pray what the Malikiyah do actually, 36 rakahs, which also has a sunnah to it, which also has a change to the practice of Ahlul Madinah. So if we all want to be Maliki, we can just break the tie between eight and 20. Let's just start praying 36 uh, rakahs inshallah. Uh, the majority is on 20. Yeah. Absolutely. Any questions from the sisters? Beginning in Ramadan Q and A already. Yeah. Any questions about Ubayy ibn Ka'ab? Yeah. Allahu a'lam. How did he take care of himself financially? Allah knows best. I mean, he could have worked, but again, the the suggestion is that he was dedicated to the masjid of the Prophet Certainly. So even like Abu Darda radiallahu anhu, who really started the methodology of the halaqat of Qur'an around the world, Abu Darda went out to Asham. Ubay was in the masjid of the Prophet during the life of the Prophet and after the death of the Prophet until his death. He was in Masjid Nabawi. Wafi kullin khair. And there is blessing in all of them. All right, I'll take, uh, yeah. Yeah. How he died is just natural causes. We don't actually say how he died. Any sisters? Yeah. Is it permissible to not pray the sunnah prayers when you pray the fadl of dhuhr? Yes, it's permissible because the sunnah in and of itself means it's voluntary. However, uh, it shouldn't become negligence to a point of negligence to where it's consistent that you don't pray sunnah, right? But it's the sunnah prayer, so therefore it's it's voluntary. It's not mandatory. All right, last question. Yeah. Somewhere, The same is true for Sayyidina Umar. The question about leading the salah, the first priority, the first right to leading the prayer 
is the Khalifa of the Prophet So Umar was obviously stabbed while he was leading the Salah. So when they say that he was the Imam in that time, that means that Umar if he went out in the Ghazwa, or if he went out in the journeys or whatever it may be, that Ubay was appointed or he was appointed for the Salawat of Taraweeh and some of the uh, some of the Nawafir, some of the voluntary prayers and things of that sort. So he's sort of the right-hand man of Umar in that regard, if that makes sense. All right, I'm going to end. So Thursday night, inshallah, after Salat al-Isha, uh, you're welcome to join, inshallah ta'ala. We'll do some short biographies, inshallah, of some of the people from the, uh, the uh, important Ansar. Jazakumullah khayran, subhanahu wa alhamdulillah, ashadu wa la ilan, tastaghfiruka wa atubu alaykum, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.